Hey, it's great to be with you. Um, I, I count it a privilege to stand here, to be with you, to, to um, be part of what God is doing in this family. I count it a, I count it a joy to walk the journey with you. And uh, this week, we, uh, we got a couple of messages that some things weren't going well with some folk. And um, we'd been out in the morning praying and anointing a house with oil and praying for a family. And we get this other message, and Ash jumps up, and she gets all excited. She goes, you know, it's about the people. And so we get in the truck, and we drive around to this place of business, and we pray with them. And it's just reminded me that it is about the people. You know, it's a privilege for us to bend a knee with you and to pray. And please don't, ooh, please don't go to sleep as we journey this morning. But, but please, please don't be an island. You know, like I'm going to share some stuff today um, uh, about the journey from my perspective. And I'm doing that so that you also can appreciate that um, each one of us must not be an island. Okay. Um, all right, so last year I spent way too much time on planes. Uh, it was um, just the way the year fell. Uh, conferences and missions and, and other meetings. And um, what, while I was on those planes, I got to appreciate again just how perspective is altered by where we sit on the plane. And sometimes we have a lovely scenery, and sometimes all we get to see is the back of a seat. Uh, Phil and I travelled up to Indonesia, and, and we, this flight, we happened to go through the middle of the day across the centre of Australia. And the pilot comes on and says, hey, if you get a chance, out of the window there's a beautiful view of Uluru, which is Ayers Rock, which is this big red thing in the middle of Australia that most of us will never visit. And uh, Phil got some magnificent photos, and I got to look at those photos on a screen, because your seat determines the view you get and the perspective that you have. You know, um, one of the things I love about flying is, um, perhaps not love, but I certainly get to come home with, with more stories about the people that I travel with and what I get to observe and what I get to see. And uh, I don't get to travel business class, so I'm usually crammed alongside people uh, as we all are, and you get that awkward personal space challenge. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Anyone ever woken up to find themselves with their head on someone else's shoulder? <laughs> or anyone woken up to have a head that they don't know on their shoulder? Phil, yeah. I won't ask which one you were saying yes to, but, you know, like, it's that, it's that space thing, you know, like, it's awkward. Um, and um, recently I was flying and like, there was this really loud snoring that kept waking me up. And I realized it was me. Uh, <laughs> but you know, you're in this crammed space for 12 hours. You can't escape. You just got to get to the end. And it's, it's not easy. And um, like, Has anyone else, aside from me, ever been knocked by the trolley as the crew raced down the aisle? Like you got your knee in the wrong place, or you're, you're just, your elbow's leaning, or you're sleeping, and donk, oh, sorry. Tom puts you on the aisle, right, that's called a safety buffer, that's what that's called. That's a wise man. It's a lonely man, but it's a wise man. 
it's just, just spending time in planes, you know, like um, there's certain movies I won't watch because I travel so much, like Snakes on a Plane. <laughs> Not going to watch it. Don't care how good it is. I don't want to know that that's a possibility. No, I don't want to know. But, you know, why am I talking about planes? Well, we're on a journey. And being on a plane is, is, is all about a journey. But I, I, I often wonder what everyone's doing on these planes. So we've got the, the people where I am in the cat, what I call cattle class with the chickens and the pack, packages and the, the little seats with not enough knee room. And, and then you've got the crew running around, serving and cleaning up mess and serving food. But then what do the pilots do? Oh, seriously. Yeah. Like, I reckon they're either really good at Sudoku or they have got Wi-Fi up there so they can do whatever they need to do because like, the plane flies itself. Seriously. Like, I, I hope, are there any pilots in the room? Greg, you've flown once. That's, you're not a pilot. <laughs> but but there's, there's different things going on in the journey, isn't there? And, and I come up with this question. I'm like, I wonder, you know, do we ever ask ourselves, can we switch seats? You know, I don't know if we comprehend what it's like to be running around serving people like me. And I joke about the pilot, but do I really think that I could land an Airbus A380? No, I'm not going to try. You know, so, so each one sits in their seat and they have something to do. So I want to talk about today from different perspectives. And, and this is why this is important. Last week and the week before, I've shared about the journey, the journey of life, the journey that we do as God's people. And we've been looking at the journey of the Israelites through the wilderness, and we've been hearing about what they've experienced and what they've done and what God, last week we actually heard what God said. And last week's message was really good, so you should grab it. And listen to it again, it's on the app, it's on the podcast, it's online. But in that message, I gave you a phrase, I said, tests don't make us, they reveal us. Tests don't make us who we are, they reveal who we are. And what I said is that when God does things along the journey, people get squeezed. And when people get squeezed, ugly comes out. Just stuff. And, and that's God's process in order to remove those things that cannot be carried into the new space. He does some squeezing. And when the ugly comes out, we get to choose what we do with it. We can cram it back in or we can get rid of it. That's God's invitation. And, and I'm sensing that that's what's going on as we step into a new phase of life. We are about to shake off a skin that says North End Church. And we're going to reveal a new skin that God has given us, and it's going to happen this month. So God's given us permission to step into that. But let me say this. The name is not really a big celebration. It's simply a description of who God says we are. Let us not mistake, in our mistake, get excited about the packaging when God has a gift inside the package for us, all right? And, and that's what we're, we're walking into, an aspect of life that God has promised us, and I'm excited about that. This past week, a couple of our, uh, me and a couple of leaders, we went off to a prophetic meeting in Cambridge 
Uh, some people that I have ministered with previously were uh, ministering at a prophetic uh, meeting on Wednesday night, and so we went along, and I wanted to connect with them, but I wanted to hear what was God saying through these people. And you could have knocked us over with a feather when he started. Greg gets up there, and he starts to minister, and he says, well, you know, if you, if you feel like you're being squeezed, you're not alone. God is preparing his church for something. And there's many people getting shaken and stirred and squeezed and stuff's coming to the surface and it's not always easy, but God says, don't wait, don't worry, keep going, I'm in it, for I am preparing my church for what I have for them. I'm like, man, has he read my emails? So it's not just us. God is preparing the church. You know, the, the, the thing is, we believe God has a gift for us, an outpouring, I'm going to talk about it today. We're being prepared for what God is about to release and there's a journey to get to it. So today we're going to look at three groups of people. We're going to look at the people, the crew, and the pilot, and we're going to look at the people of Israel as we do this. So a couple of weeks ago, I shared a message called The the Chaos of Tension, and it was about the journey through the wilderness. It was about what the people experienced as they journeyed and, and choices that they made. We noted there were instances in that journey where they made a choice, and in that choice, They stepped into the wrath of God. Ten times they tested God. And God says, you test me, I'll remind you that I'm God. And fire burned down and some people were consumed and plagues turned up and people got sick and God brought people back into a place of humility before him as they walked with him. Let's have a look at the beginning of Exodus 16 to remind us of one of those stories. Exodus 16 verses 1, 2, and 3. The whole community of Israel set out from Elam and journeyed into the wilderness of Sinai, between Elam and Mount Sinai. There they arrived on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving Egypt. This is Exodus 16. There too, verse 2. There too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and we ate all the bread we wanted. But now you've brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Complaining about going on a journey and being hungry and, and, and God spoke to them in this. They decided that their comfort was better than the journey. The comfort of slavery was better than the promise. And God didn't agree with them. God says, no, that is not true. What I say is true, and he promises to feed them. And for 40 years, he honored that promise to feed them with manna every morning. But you only have to turn one page to find it happen again. Exodus chapter 17, verses 1, 2, and 3. At the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of Sinai and moved from place to place. Eventually, they camped at Rephidim, But there was no water there for the people to drink. So once more, the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me and why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children and our livestock with thirst? See, frustration wells up. And ugly comes to the surface. Circumstances we face reveal what we're carrying inside us. You know, the reality is they were thirsty. That is good. But instead of taking their frustration or their need to God as their provider, they just aired their frustration verbally. 
Last week we heard God say to his people and to us that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God said he would provide for them, and he did. We know the words of Jesus when he speaks with a woman at the well in Samaria, when the, at Jacob's well, he says, well, if you drink the water I have, you'll never be thirsty again. Again, Jesus is the source of the life. This life becomes a bubbling well within us. We must always make sure we go to God with our frustration. There's another story, and you've got to turn to Exodus 32 to read it. I'll just read the first verse of Exodus 32. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. Make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. And the result of that conversation is they agreed to melt down the gold that they had plundered from Egypt. They formed it into a golden calf and they bowed and they worshipped it. What a mistake. What a mistake on the shoulders of Aaron, the high priest. They made a false idol. I want to say this, however you find yourself on the journey of life, be it here or elsewhere, never ever sell yourself up with a golden calf. Or you might say, well, I'd never do that. I'd never melt down gold. I'd never make an object like a calf or a cow or a person or something, and I'd never make a false idol. What about the God of self? It's a challenging question we should always ask ourselves. What about... I know people who would uh, worship their schedule and their plans instead of what God asks them to do. I know people who allow their kids to dictate when they come to church and when they don't. Not here, but, you know, other places. Some people choose to worship sport, but only when the Chiefs are playing well. It's easy to make a false idol. We can make a false idol out of our insecurity. We can make a false idol out of our pain and our past. We can make a false idol out of our circumstances. Golden calf is a distraction. But what are we really saying in that? Because when frustration comes to the surface, it reveals something. And they didn't say these words, but I wonder if this is what the people were actually saying. I wonder if they're saying, where are we going? It's a legitimate question. It's a legitimate question to a voice, but it's really not a legitimate question based on what God said to them, because God was very, very clear why he was leading them. And so here's what I wonder if they're asking. Do we trust the leader? <laughs> that is also a valid question. It's a very valid question. We'll look at that in a minute. So the people are on a journey. And the people have a crew. These are the leadership on the plane. We would call those the crew. What do you call them? Not allowed to call them flight attendants. That's a wonderful phrase. Um, so, so, so if you're a flight attendant, you've got to deal with everyone's stuff. You know, like, anyone ever been on a plane where someone has vomited? You did? And someone has to clean it up? Or... Uh, sometimes in the middle of the night, if you're on a long flight and, and you can't sleep because you've got no room and it's uncomfortable, um, you've got one eye open and you know, they have to go in there and have to clean those toilets. 
Oh, they deal with complaints. They deal with people like me. They have to deal with the turbulence. None of it they get to control, but all of it they have to deal with. If we look at the people in the wilderness, there were a few moments where they had to do things. Um, the golden calf, classic story where I said, Aaron, in my opinion, failed. He was the leader. He decided he would allow them to do what they wanted to do. But there was another one. Do you remember what happened to the sister of Moses, whose name is Miriam, in Numbers chapter 12? Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. While they were at Hazaroth, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he had married a Cushite woman. They said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us too? But the Lord heard them. Now Moses was very humble, more humble than any person on the earth. Jump down to verse 9. The Lord was very angry with them, and he departed. As the cloud moved from the tabernacle, there stood Miriam, her skin as white as snow with leprosy. Well, that stink. God punished her because her frustration came out and she didn't know how to deal with it. There's a, there's a process of healing and reconciliation as, as, as Moses intercedes on behalf of her. She's brought uh, out of the camp for a while and then she's brought back in. But I wonder what she's thinking in her frustration. She's probably thinking, is this what I signed up for? 40 years, manna for breakfast, manna for dinner, walking around in circles following a cloud. I'm frustrated. Surely God would say something better than what Moses is saying. But I wonder what they're really asking. Because I've been in this situation. And I've served other leaders, and often I wonder, do I trust the leader? It's a valid question. It's not a bad question. Depends how you find the answer. The question is, do we follow someone because we trust them or because God asks us to? One of the things that the Lord has taught me over the years as, um, as a follower of him is the ability to see patterns in the Spirit. And I don't mean literal patterns. What I mean is he helps me to observe things and he connects the dots for me. And when I, when I started to learn how to do this, the Lord was very gentle and showing me things and helping me to understand what was happening. It's like, I suppose you could call it a gift of wisdom, if you're referring to the spiritual gifts in the New Testament. And at the moment, I see patterns. And this helps me to understand what God is doing. See, at the moment, what I'm seeing is challenges in the leaders around me. I see a pattern. We've got family challenges going on. I just shared with you, Ash and her family are grieving the loss of their patriarch, their grandfather in Wellington this week. There are people who are suffering financial challenges. There are people who are walking through health issues, and there are people who are struggling with division and breakdown in their home. There's conflict, there's instability, there's hunger, and there's thirst. But there's more than that that I've noticed. This is the reason why I chose the two stories of Aaron 
and Miriam. Because one thing I've noticed is that the closer these people are to me, the more intense the challenge is. And that weighs really heavy on me. For our household, Kathy and our two kids, each one of those individuals are going through significant personal challenge right now, and it's intense. The closer you are to me, the more intense it is. And that's a little bit worrying, but it's what happened here. The team at church are under the pump. Some of my leaders and ministries are really getting hit by rapid-fire issues. And it's painful to watch, especially when you can't stop it. And I've got to wonder how Moses felt as he led the people through the journey. See, just like Miriam and Aaron, they were under a greater degree of pressure because of their proximity to Moses, so too are our people. But I'm confident of one thing. God is doing something. God is preparing us. God is doing his work. Last year, we sang the song. I played it yesterday in my office, um, the new wine song by Hillsong. In the crushing, in the pressing, there is new wine. And that's my confession of hope and faith that God would complete his work amongst us. Jesus taught us in John 15 that the gardener comes to prune the vine. Well, you take a pair of secateurs and try and do some pruning, it hurts. It's not comfortable. But, Jesus says, the gardener does this in order that we would bear more fruit. One of my friends reassures me that when the gardener proves the branch, he holds it in his hand. The gardener is close while he's doing his pruning. So it's not an easy road. And I wonder, personally, what was going on in the life of Moses, who will call the pilot. Let's look at the journey of Moses, because we reveal something through the Scripture in Exodus chapter 3. Moses has a situation. Moses is walking with the sheep in the middle of nowhere, and he notices what? What does Moses notice in the desert at the beginning of Exodus 3? What does he notice? A burning bush, that's right, a burning bush, a bush that was on fire that was not consumed by the fire. And what I love about the scripture is it says this, Moses turned aside. That was the start of it all. God, you see, God has chosen that Moses would be the leader of his people out of Egypt. Moses is just walking the sheep. He's, he's hiding, he's happy, he's working for his father-in-law. God has chosen. You see, God has, God has made a promise and he's committed to carrying out and completing that promise, but he has to do it through a man. In this case, Moses. And any person who has an encounter with God, a burning bush moment, cannot be the same. Every single one of us has an invitation. But Moses has the same question we all have, I reckon. Where are we going? Every good leader asks that question. Where are we going? Let's have a look. We see here in the Scriptures, God says, I am the God of your father Abraham. I've given the promise to Abraham. And now, in verse 7, I've seen the oppression 
of my people. I've heard their cries and I'm aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them out of the land of Egypt. And then he says, look, in verse 10, go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. Moses was shaking with fear, it says in verse 6. He was afraid to look at the Lord. The, the pressure and the significance of the encounter was not lost on him. He knew he was standing before the God of Abraham. And I think it's true to say that I would confess that as a leader to stand before God and be called to lead people is a frightening experience. Freaked out. Because God has called us to move. And when God does that, he invites us to follow. But we've got to follow someone. I get to move in circles of church leaders because those are the meetings I get invited to. And there are churches that don't move. And I'm not being critical, I'm just making an observation. There are churches in maintenance mode. We can just maintain what we have, keep everyone happy, fill the seats on Sunday, fill the bank account on Monday, fill the youth hall on Tuesday, fill the prayer meeting on Wednesday, we'll be good. Maintenance. But that's not what God's called us to. God's called us to move. And then, if we turn aside, we have to decide if we pay the price that's necessary for the journey. And Moses asks the same question that every one of us who are leaders will also ask. Who am I? Oh. He asks this question, who am I? Verse 11, Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery? And here we find the burden that comes when you turn aside to God. This is a leadership burden. See, Moses is not sure he can do it. And I don't know who many leaders who are. You see, with the possibility of the adventure comes the possibility of failure. What if it doesn't go well? What about the, the burden of people's expectations? What about fear of what people think? What about that concern that we have that people might see the real us? What about if we make a wrong turn in the middle of the desert? These are legitimate worries that I have. What happens if I don't have what it takes to lead people? What if I won't be strong enough? What if I get lonely because no one's walking with me? What if people misunderstand how I'm journeying? All of these are real concerns that leaders experience. And that's what Moses is asking. When he says, who am I? 
he's weighing himself in light of the significant invitation God is giving him. And he's saying, who am I? Who am I? God answers his question in verse 12. I'll be with you. This leads Moses to another question. He says, who are you? Not a bad question. In fact, it's a question I'd encourage you to ask. When you go to God and you say, who are you? God responds with a revelation of himself. And this is what I've found. This is what Moses finds. Knowledge of God is the only thing that sustains us on the journey. These two questions are pivotal. And if I can go back to talk about Sozo for just one brief minute, the best thing you'll get out of going to the Sozo training is the ability to begin to ask the question to God, who am I and who are you? Because you'll have the tools to deal with the answer. You must get to know who you are in light of who God says you are. And you must understand more clearly who God is in light of his truth. You know, I honestly believe the pressure, the squeezing, the shaking that we're seeing, God is doing his work. He's bringing things out in order that we would see them and allow him to remove them or to bring healing or to bring strength or to bring clarity or to bring truth so that we can move forward as God has designed us to move forward. Fully saved, fully healed, fully delivered. There's one thing that you can do to help with this, and I'm going to share it with you today. Moses speaks again to God in Exodus chapter 4. As a leader, he comes before him and, and he says, Moses protested again. Man, the guy's got some sass. You know, he's standing before this burning bush and he's, he's like, again, he says, what if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? What is he really saying? Is this what I signed up for? Really? Like, I'm just, I'm just not sure. God then gives him a chance. Again, look at verse 10. Moses pleaded with the Lord. Oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I've never been. And now, oh, even though I've spoken to me, I mean, God's just done two miracles. Remember the stick into a snake? The hand with the leprosy? And he goes, but God, I can't even speak. Verse 13, Moses pleads, send anyone else. What is Moses really saying? Can I, do I trust the leader? Again, it's a really valid question for a leader to ask of themselves. This is, this is legitimate. This is, this is the price that God's called us into for the promise he's given us. Like I said before, uh, a rebirth, the new skin, it's all just packaging. What's inside that? The promise God's given us to walk together as family into an outpouring of his Holy Spirit that will bless Te Aumuru in a way they've never seen before. Not because of what we've done, but because of what God desires to do here. I signed up for that. I said yes. 
I turned aside and said yes. And now, the journey, the struggles, the squeezing, and the transformation journey we're going into is because of that yes. And I have to look at myself and say, am I up for it? Like every leader should. This question becomes a thorn in my side. Remember Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, after he'd done some crazy ranting and boasting, and he said, no, he says, no. The Lord has given me a thorn in my side to keep me humble. This question becomes a thorn in my side that takes me back to the cross. Because the answer to the question is, I'm not good enough. I can't be without him. I don't want to be without him. And the same words that Jesus spoke to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 are the same words he speaks to me. In your weakness, my strength is made perfect. One of the burdens that is real for me to carry is the effect of my choices on other people. As I said before, I I turned aside and I say yes, and as a result, those close to me walk through suffering, as do I. But what's the alternative? To ignore the burning bush? I can't. God's inviting us into something. And then I turn to the burning bush, and in the face of God, I see myself for who I am, and I recognize my failings. I recognize my shortcomings. The devil throws arrows of accusation at me about my past failures and mistakes I've made and weaknesses I have and, and, and all of that is absolutely true. But it doesn't define the future. As God said, in your weakness, my strength will be made perfect. In your history, my strength will be made perfect. In your failings, my strength will be made perfect. We all have the same issues. Now I have to be realistic, I have to be open, I have to be vulnerable, I have to just accept that I'm flesh wrapped around a spirit and that flesh makes me weak. One of the other things that's become paramount in the journey is the way that we honour people. And I'm trying to do my best to honour those of you that are here today. I've tried to honour those that have sat in those seats for the last 30 years. I think it's really important. But more than that, we have to say yes for those that are going to sit in these seats. Because God says his revival is coming not to make us feel good, but that people would be drawn to him. And when when, when he decides... That revival comes into Awamudu as he has promised. He will draw people to himself. He will love them. And then he will want to plant them in a family that is strong and safe and good. So we are doing this to honor those who are not yet here. And to prepare a place where they can grow. All of these things weigh really heavily on a leader, constantly. 
but no is not an option. And here it leads me to the one thing, the one thing that each one of us can take away as something we can do. Wherever we're sitting on the plane, wherever we're sitting on the journey, whether we're part of the people, the crew, or sitting in the pilot seat, there's one thing that Moses shows us that is for us. And we see it, but we don't see it for a while because Moses matures as he journeys. Moses spends time with God. Moses wrestles and intercedes and fasts and, and he jumps up and down and yells and he leads people around a mountain. And then we get to this place in Exodus 33 and Moses teaches us the one thing we need. In Exodus 33, Moses is having a conversation with God. If you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me and your people if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the other people on the earth. And here we find the one thing. God's presence confirms us. God's presence sustains us. God's presence leads us. God's presence is what we need in our lives. Moses has learned there's only one thing that's necessary. When we stay in God's presence, we find those things that God has for us, but only in that place. And it's a personal thing. This is part of it. Coming together as family is vital for me. You know, when I see you, I'm excited because I miss you. It's true. This is like family for me. And, and coming together is a great opportunity for us collectively to bind each other in strength and, and worship God in one voice. We should not neglect meeting together. But beyond that, this one thing we should do, this one simple thing, and this is the phrase that is marking my year, and this is the one thing I want you to remember. This is the one thing you can do. See, how did Moses have this conversation with God? How did Moses have an encounter to receive the, what we call the Ten Commandments, the covenant partnership agreement that God had? How did Moses intercede with people? There's one thing he did that you can do. Climb the mountain. You can do it literally if you want. Sign up with Mel. Kakapuku, 6.30, any night you choose. But figuratively, spiritually, relationally, Climb the mountain. Where is God's presence in this story? It's on the mountain. Now, we have far more than that. That's why I'm saying this is figurative, because Jesus made a way where he tore the, tore the veil of the curtain, and we can walk into the holy place and, and receive God's goodness any time, any place, any moment. So how do I climb the mountain? I worship him when I'm driving. I read the scriptures early in the morning. I listen to podcasts when I can. I have fellowship with other people, other believers who sharpen me as iron sharpens iron because God dwells where two of us are gathered. Climb the mountain. One thing you can do, come before God. And when you come before God, you have an encounter with God and he'll sustain you wherever you're at. I was wondering if we could get the band to come back, maybe do song three. 
Because we need to build our life on what God has done for us. And this was a, just a beautiful way that it was sung this morning. I want you to sing it as a prayer. That we would come to the place where we would encounter God. Each one of us. See, it doesn't matter whether you're sitting in cattle class, sitting in business class, or working in the galley, or flying the plane. None of us will survive without God's presence. God will build our lives. God is building his church in order that we'd be prepared for the future that he has for us. Why don't you stand? I'm going to pray, and then the band will lead us. Lord, I thank you that in all circumstances you are working for good in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who would humble ourselves before you, that we would be open before you, that we'd respond to what you're doing, that we'd turn aside as Moses did, and we'd agree to go on the journey. Give us strength to surrender our lives every day. Give us the strength to give you the reins, to, con- to give you the control, that our lives would truly honour you. Lord, I lift up this church family. I ask, as I do every day, that you bless them, that you pour your love into their lives, that you fill their homes with the richness presence of your Holy Spirit, that you fill their minds and their hearts with the sense of fellowship and connection with God, that you would open their eyes to see that you are with them. I bless them in the name of Jesus Christ.